Last week, I continued a series that I started the week before that that was supposed to be a one-hit wonder, and now it's become the rest of your spring, right? It, this, is, this is where we're going to be for a little while. And the series is entitled Foundations, and we've, got, we've grown so much. Uh, you don't always see it, notice it with us having multiple services. And who was in the early service? Who's in the late service? We've grown. We've got new families that have connected, that are involved, that are serving, that are, that are a part of the team and a part of the Faith Chapel family. And I think it's important that we know the language that we speak. How many of your home has a certain culture? Okay, it has a certain culture. And you might not even be aware of that until somebody else walks in and they're like, wow, this place has a culture all its own. And that's normal. All of us have that. And our church has that as well. And some of the cultural things that we've experienced, really, it's because it goes back to moments with God, encounters with God, seasons of some things that he's brought us through. How many of you were here the first time? This will be interesting for me to see. How many of you were here the first time that I taught the As in the Days of Noah series? The first time on a Sunday morning. Okay. So literally maybe 20% of us that are in this room right now. And yet, those of you that were here, how many would say that was shaping of the culture of our church when we went through it? Uh, me too, which is one reason we're doing it again this year. Because that was a cultural shift for us, and we have so many people that have never even heard it, and I can't wait to get to it. Because it will absolutely blow your mind to see how much God really loves us, and you see evidence of that in the flood of the earth. Have you ever had somebody say, if God really loved the world, how could he flood the earth? Have you ever heard that one? You'll have the answer. You'll have the answer. It's, it's, it's remarkable. So we've got all these things that we've experienced that we want to make sure we're bringing everybody into. How many like inside jokes when you know them? And it's not so much fun when you're outside them, right? So we want to bring you into the inside language so that we all know. So here's some things that we've already talked about. I'm going to review them really quickly. Number one because we spent the last couple of weeks on these. We are a church of his presence. If I was going to take the time to say, we're setting up our core values for you this morning, I would say core value number one, we are a church of his presence. I don't want to have church without God being here. Okay. And I know that in him, we live and we move and we have our being. He's always everywhere. I get it. But I also know there's a difference between just knowing he's everywhere and inviting him there. And saying, God, I want you to rule and reign the day. I want you to direct everything. I'll, I'll just tell you right now, if his presence isn't here, then forget the miracles. Forget the deliverance. Forget the freedom. That doesn't come from five points in a poem. It doesn't come from the seven highly effective habits of this person or that. That comes from the presence of God. We want to be a church of his presence. Number two, one moment in his presence changes everything. One moment can change everything. I know people that have wrestled with nervousness, anxiousness, insecurity for years, and one touch from God completely transformed who they were. Somebody that struggled with fear, and they were literally paralyzed by any new opportunity that was in front of them, one moment in the presence of Jesus took that fear away, and they can go forward more than a conqueror the way that God intends them to be. All it takes is one moment in the presence of Jesus. We see it throughout the Gospels. We see it throughout the Scriptures, and I want to see it take place here. How about you? Number three. Spiritual sensitivity is normal for believers. Spiritual sensitivity is normal for believers. And I would say spiritual sensitivity is actually normal for everyone. 
everyone. Have you ever walked into a, maybe a certain store that you've walked into and you didn't like the way it felt? And it wasn't even necessarily the music. It wasn't necessarily what was on the wall, but there was a feeling in that room. You're like, I don't like the way this feels. Okay? We've had people that have walked into this house, into this local spiritual house, that are not followers of Christ, that walk in here and say, man, it feels good in this room. It feels good in this room. Well, we all know it's more than the decor. It's time to repaint the walls. I mean, they went out of color a couple of years ago. Okay, it's, it, it's more than decor. It's more than atmosphere. It's because there's a commitment to host the presence of God here. And somebody might walk in and they might not understand what it is. And they'll say, oh, it feels good. And I'm thinking to myself, it's the favor of God. It's the presence of the Lord. He is in this house. I need to have spiritual sensitivity. Here's three think about it that I didn't get to last week. So I'm throwing them in here on the review. I'll do it quickly, and then you can take a picture of them if you want. Number one, Jesus focused on what was taking place in the heavenly realms, and he duplicated it on earth. So Jesus had a, a hearing sensitivity and a seeing sensitivity to his Father in heaven. As a matter of fact, he said in the scriptures, I don't even do anything if I don't see my Father do it. I don't do anything unless he's not doing it. He had a spiritual sensitivity to his father, and what he saw his father doing, he duplicated. Let me share this with you, and, and I'm completely comfortable sharing this. In the early service, um, we had a lady that came forward for prayer, and I didn't know what was going on. She said, Pastor Brent, I'm blind in my right eye. I'm blind. I'm like, well, let's pray. Let's pray. And we began to pray for that right eye. And she took her glasses off, and she says, I see, I see the outline around your face but I can't make out your face. And we prayed longer and she said, you're getting clearer, but I still can't see your eyes. And we prayed a little longer and she said, I can't see your eyes yet, but I can see where they're supposed to be. And we just continued to pray and somebody could say, well, why not instantly? Listen, this isn't about God and whether he's here or not. This is about us learning how to walk in God and walk in. And we just kept praying and he just kept doing more and doing more. But you know what the Lord showed me? It was a little vision. I had a vision of a little girl running down to a Christmas tree Christmas morning with her eyes just wide open and she not being able to kind of take in everything that she was seeing. How many remember rushing down to the Christmas tree when you were a kid, all right? Or rushing upstairs, all right? So I just this image of rushing to see her, and I just kept hearing wide-eyed, wide-eyed, wide-eyed. Well, as I'm praying, I just kept praying, looking into that vision, and, and I shared that. Well, the lady, and it's no big deal who it was. She was here. We were all praying for her in the first service. It's Barbie, Sister Barbie, that sits on the second row. Many of you know her. And I shared that word, and she came up to me, and she said, Pastor Brad, you know I love Christmas. I said, oh, I know you love Christmas. She goes, do you know I keep a Christmas tree up in my living room year-round? She goes, that was a word for me. I'm seeing a vision of a little girl with wide eyes looking at a Christmas tree and then she tells me, I love Christmas. I keep a tree up year round. I'm thinking, I wish we did because I hate putting them up. <laughs> you know what I mean? I wish I could just put a panel in front of it. And then, but anyway, I, isn't that remarkable? And what the Lord was showing me that I thought, and it did help me pray with a little more favor of seeing those eyes real wide, but look how personal it was. It wasn't just to help me pray, but it was to encourage her as she was praying. Spiritual sensitivity. You have it. 
We just need to activate it more. Number two, we are to duplicate in the earthly realm what we observe in the heavenly realm. We're to view in the spirit and then to make it happen on earth. And number three, spiritual sensitivity is a must for making heaven's impact on earth. And I just, I am a, I, I will preach this till I drive you guys crazy. We're learning and growing and, and I'll even say it this way. I don't win every battle that I want to win, okay? But we're learning and we're growing and I want heaven's impact on earth. I'm just going to tell you right now, earth doesn't have the answers for what's going on on earth. There's too much division, there's too much hate, there's too much destruction to look at earth for an answer. We have to look to heaven and bring heaven's answer to earth. We need spiritual sensitivity to that. Number four, we're going to skip the verse and keep moving, Amber. Number four, signs and wonders leave us wondering about God. It's part of our DNA here. Signs and wonders leaving, leave us wondering about God. When God does things that you don't always understand, maybe you're in a moment of worship and you're just praising him and all of a sudden you just begin to smell this beautiful perfume right in front of you. And you open your eyes and you go, wow, nobody's in front of me. And you close and you start worshiping again, you smell that beautiful perfume again. You open your eyes to see who walked by and you can tell that nobody walked by. You're like, what's going on? I would say that your spiritual sensitivity has been opened and you smelled the presence of God. Come on, Pastor Brett. No, I'm serious. Because we have spiritual sensitivity, and that's a sign and a wonder. It can, wouldn't you just enjoy being in a prayer time? All of a sudden, it just begins to smell beautiful in the room. What does beautiful smell like? I'm not sure, but when Jesus walks in, I'll guarantee you that's what it smells like. And you just begin to smell the beauty of the king, and you're like, wow, what's this all about? Well, maybe it just leaves you wondering even more about him. That the encounters that you have with God makes you want another encounter with God. That a touch from God makes you crave more touches from God. Here's an observation. I pray that the signs and wonders we experience leave us wondering more about the greatness of our God. I, I, I'm not here to preach signs and wonders, but I'm here to tell you that God's word says signs and wonders accompany the preaching of the word. I didn't get one amen. This is the late service. Are you serious? You should be wide awake. Okay, signs and wonders, God's word says, signs and wonders follow the preaching of the word. Okay, signs and wonders follow those who believe. So if we're walking in a power of agreement that first of all, we believe, and secondly, we're preaching the word, signs and wonders should be normal. If we're not experiencing signs and wonders, then are we preaching the word? If we're not experiencing signs and wonders, then are we believers or are we just those that play them on TV? I, you know, I'm, I think I'm a believer. I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. I think I can play the part of a believer. I, I mean, we, I, I want to experience and encounter all that he has for me. Let's go to number five. And I think this is probably, I'll just spend a, lot of, a little time in number five, and it might be where we stay today, okay? Here it is. Rivers of living water flow from our inner man. This is new stuff. Rivers of living water flow from our inner man. This is part of our language. We actually believe that when the presence of God moves into us, it's a river of freshness of his power. It's more than a river. It's actually rivers that move into us. And not only do they move into us, but they can flow forth from us. And scripture talks about this in several places. I'm going to share a couple of them with you today. Um, first one I'm going to mention, one of the things that we do at Faith Chapel is we participate in collecting offerings for the poor 
at specific times of year. Those of you that have been at Faith Chapel for a while, you know that we do this. And they're during three Jewish festivals. Do you remember them? What's the first one that we do? Passover. And the second one's Pentecost. And the third one is Sukkot, or Tabernacles. Now, the reason that we do that, by the way, is because God's word, he taught his people that during those three specific festivals, he wanted them to bring a little extra for the poor in Jerusalem. So they would have a little extra just to meet the needs of the poor. So during that time of year, we're not religious about it. We're not legalistic about it. We just say, hey, what would God have you to do for those that are in need? And we designate it. And we literally take half of the money and we send it to a ministry in Jerusalem to help the needs of the poor there. And then we use the other half to meet the needs of people here in our own community. All right? Something that we do during Passover, Pentecost, and Sukkot or Tabernacles. Now, do a little biblical history. Some of you might know all this stuff and go, come on, PB, get moving. If you don't know this, you might find it interesting. The first Passover took place when God's people were in Egypt. And he was going to be delivering, delivering them from the land of slavery. They were to take a lamb. They were to sacrifice that lamb. And they were to take the blood of that lamb and apply it to the doorpost of their home. And here's the promise. That when death comes upon the firstborn, everybody that's under the blood will be protected. Everybody will be covered. So that night, death came to the firstborn all throughout Egypt. But everyone that obeyed and put the blood over their doorposts and down the side of their doors, everyone that obeyed, death didn't touch the firstborn of their family. Their children were kept safe. Now, not only was it done then, but God told them, I want you to do this annually. Every year, I want you to remember that I brought you from the land of Egypt and I delivered you. But how do you know when God has you remember something, it's all because he wants you, also because he wants you to look forward to something else that he has in store. Memorial stones are set in place so that we can see that he was good to us in the past, but we also know his goodness is enduring into the future. I want you to know that Jesus is our Passover lamb. And Jesus allowed himself to be sacrificed. And his blood is placed over our lives so that death doesn't touch us. The wages of sin were death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is our Passover lamb. But thankfully, he didn't just die and stay in a grave, but he rose again and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And from that place, he has poured out his spirit to live within our hearts. Can I get an amen this morning? Okay? So we serve a good king. We serve a good king. So for 40 years in the wilderness, they practiced Passover. And they continued to after they settled in the promised land. Passover. Second one's Pentecost. Pentecost was when they would celebrate that God gave them his revelation of the Torah when Moses was on Mount Sinai with God. And he spent that time with God. God gave him not just the Ten Commandments. He gave him instructions and laws and, and, and understanding and revelation. And he gave this all to him. And they every year would celebrate Pentecost. In the Hebrew, it's actually called Shavuot. I don't know if you know that. Shavuot. And they would celebrate it. It was the day that God gave divine communication to his people so that they could hear from God. I think that's pretty remarkable. Because if you've read anything about Shavuot, or should I say the first Shavuot after Jesus had ascended to heaven, we call it Pentecost because that's what it said in the Greek. But do you know what happened that day? God's people 
were seeking him and worshiping him, and they began to pray in languages that nobody had ever taught them. They just began to pray in languages that they had never learned before, and people from all over the region that were there for the celebration of, hey, remember when God gave us the Torah? They started hearing the word of God being communicated in their own language, and I believe, if I remember right, about 3,000 people accepted Jesus as their king that day. Absolutely remarkable. The day of Pentecost or the day of Shavuot. The next one is Sukkot, and that's in the fall. Have you ever heard of the Feast of Tabernacles? How about the Feast of Booths? You ever heard of that one? Or the Feast of Ingathering? Why do you mention all those? Because they're kind of interchangeable. The, the, the festival of Sukkot is referred to all, to all of those. And they would come to Jerusalem, and we would call it like setting up a pup tent. They come to Jerusalem, and they set up these little booths all over the place, outside the city, inside the city. They are everywhere, and it represents the 40 years that they traversed through the wilderness, and they didn't have a home of their own, but they were looking forward to the home that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they tabernacled. It was a temporary moment. How many of you like to go camping, but you also like to be done camping? Do you ever look for, I cannot wait to go camping, and about day three, you're like, I cannot wait to get home from camping. I am ready for the select comfort bed, a couple of shots of espresso from my coffee machine, and my own television, and some air conditioning. Can I get an amen? Okay? So we look forward to it, but we also look forward to going away from it, and I get that. And it was a reminder to them, hey, remember when we had to do this? God's presence moved, we moved. He went over here, we went over here, he went over there, we went over there. We just kind of tabernacled. We put these things up and down constantly, and we went wherever he wanted us to be. Now, what's remarkable about this is it's also a reminder that we're tabernacling right now. What do you mean, Pastor Brad? I don't know if tabernacling is proper English. I feel like I'm really saying knackle, tabernacling. I'm emphasizing that part of the word for some reason. But it it represents that this is a short-term stay that we're traveling through here. And your, your short-term term, term stay might last 80 years, but it's still short in light of eternity. And here we're, we're setting up camp for a while. This isn't home. There's a permanent home. Can I get an amen? Okay, whose, whose architect and builder is God himself. And so, as a matter of fact, if you've read John 1, I'm sure some of you have read John 1 before. You might have faded out by chapter 5, but you at least got through chapter 1. Remember when it says that the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us? If you look that up in the original Greek, it's interesting. It doesn't say dwelling. We use dwelling because we understand that. But in the Greek, it says he tabernacled among us. So you've got this image that just like they set up these camps all the time as they were in the wilderness, that Jesus came and tabernacled. He set up camp with us so that we could get to know him and he could pour himself. It's absolutely beautiful. What does this have to do with anything? I don't remember. What was my point? Number five. Oh, that's right. Number five. I'm sorry. Those of you that love background, you've enjoyed this. Those of you that like me to get to the point, you've hated this moment. So God bless. Stuart, I've seen it on your face. God bless you, my friend. You're going to get there. Um, There's a reason that I go through all of that. It's because this statement is actually a statement that Jesus made during one of those festivals, and it was the one of tabernacles. It was Sukkot. And it wasn't just during the festival. It was the last day of the festival. It was the dramatic moment. And that's when Jesus made this statement, and it's remarkable. How many know that in the scriptures, we learn 
that even Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him at first. Did you know that? They didn't get it. They, they, they didn't even get it. As a matter of fact, there was a little bit of, I don't know whether it was jealousy or, or division or insecurity or anger, I'm not quite sure, but they said to him before Sukkot, they said, hey, anybody that wants to be known goes to Jerusalem. Any prophet goes to Jerusalem. And they were saying to him, you need to get to Jerusalem if you really want everybody to know who you are. And by the way, they knew, guess who was in Jerusalem? Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, scribes, and teachers. There were five different groups that were in Jerusalem waiting for an opportunity to kill Jesus. So his brothers are saying, hey, you need to get to Jerusalem. And everybody knew that there were people in Jerusalem ready to lay ambush on Jesus. So have you ever had a family struggle? Why do I mention it? Jesus gets it. I am going to pause here for a second. I'm not making light of this. If you've been betrayed, if your own family's betrayed you, if your own husband's betrayed you, if your children have betrayed you, Jesus gets it. He, he's, he is a high priest who's touched with the feelings of your own infirmities. He's went through it. His own brothers didn't believe any. And you could say, and I'm willing to go there, you could say his own brothers were even trying to set him up to cause problems. Okay? So Jesus gets it. And I mention that to you because... I can't get all of it, and you can't get all of it, but Jesus gets it, and he's willing to move into that part of your life where you need a healing that nobody else can give you, only Jesus can. He can move into that place. You receive that? If you don't, I'm going to stay on it longer. Do you receive that? Okay, and it's getting hot in here. Have you noticed that? It's getting, maybe it's just up here. All right, so Jesus tells his brothers, you guys go on ahead. He didn't say, you lying sack of snakes trying to set me. He's like, you guys go. He didn't do that. He's like, you guys go on ahead. You go ahead. You go to the festival. I'll come later. So Jesus comes later, and he kind of snuck in among the crowd, but he didn't stay hidden. No. He literally goes right to the temple. He goes right to the steps. Look at this. You're gonna, it's remarkable. John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. On the last and greatest day of the festival... Everybody, I mean, we're out of the tabernacles. We're packing them up. It's time for the big celebration. This is the moment. On the last and the greatest day, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, John, who was a great pastor, had to explain it because that's what pastors do. So John gives this commentary. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Don't you love it that pastors always try to explain everything? Don't you love it when pastors try to explain another pastor explaining everything? That's what's just taken place. Now, when I look in verses, there are times that I'm, a, verse, a word will really jump out at me and I'm like, ooh, I need to dig into that word more. Because I, I understand that in English, 
The Greek doesn't always translate well into English. And I even understand that English changes over time. All right? How many remember when the word, I've, I've used this before, but when you remember the word bad meant bad. Remember that? And then in the 70s, if it was bad, it was good. You remember that? Like, dude, I like your car. It is bad. Now, if my grandpa would have heard somebody say that car's bad, he's like, then don't buy it. It's a piece of junk. But in the 70s, bad was good. How many know that bad's not good anymore? Okay, bad's bad again. So language changes over time. And for whatever reason, I kind of wanted to go to living water. I wanted to check that one out. But you know what I felt drawn to? Guess which word I felt drawn to? I read it that way. Loud. I felt drawn to looking into that word. So I did. Did a little... Uh, my uh, professor from back in college, Buzz Brookman, he would be thrilled with the word study that I did. But it's the Greek word krazo. If you like to jot these things down, we didn't put it on the notes. This is free of charge. Um, you know, we charge for the notes, but this is free. Uh, it's krazo, K-R-A-Z-O. And to be proper, it's probably more krazo. Okay, it's kind of more that way. It tends to be where we get cry out, krazo. You kind of hear a little bit of a similarity there. I'm going to tell you the places where the word krazo was used in the New Testament. I find it remarkable. Um, it was the word that was used to describe the cry of a raven. Have you ever heard a raven screech? They can, they can make quite a sound. All right? Google it. Not right now. <laughs> we, all, we don't need that right now. But a raven, the cry that they make, it's referred to as a krazo. It's when you hear it, you're like, ooh, got my attention. I heard that. Um, you know what it's used most of the time in the New Testament? Almost every time, as a matter of fact. You know what it's used for? To describe the sound the demons made when they shrieked when they were being cast out of someone. You ever read in the scriptures that as they, you know, the boy was being delivered and the demons cried out. Have you ever read that? Or they shrieked. It's krazo. It's Forgive me, I know this is aggravating, it's annoying, but it's like, ah! You ever, don't you hate that sound? Isn't it like, isn't it like verbal uh, nails on a chalkboard? You're right, you're, ah! Okay, now, why am I doing that? Well, I did it a second time because, first of all, I saw how much it bothered Kristen uh, Skibo the first time. It really bothered her, and so I wanted to illustrate, ah! Look at that. Isn't that amazing? So she is having a rough time. Ah! All right. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. So you can't push those redheads too far. You know, it's uh, Ben, you understand. We got to be careful here. But it, there's a reason that that word was used. And the reason that word was used, and I'm going there, it's because that's what it sounded like when Jesus got their attention. Okay, he, he didn't just say, hey, guys, hey, help me in the back, help me. No PA system, right? Hey, hey, could you get them to quiet down around the cafe, please? please. It wasn't that at all. It was in a loud voice, let anyone. I mean, it's kind of alarming, okay? Why would he do that? Well, I'll guarantee it got their attention. 
And on the last day of a festival where there are thousands of Jewish men and women in celebration, that kind of a screech grabbed everybody's attention. And then he gave something that honestly, in my opinion, this thing that Jesus says right here is one of the strongest dividing lines between religion and relationship in the church. And I'm going to say it still is. It still is. When Jesus said, if you'll believe in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within you. We're not just talking about us receiving from God. We're talking about us giving from God to others. That, that is still a line in the church world today. And we see an immediate response in that verse. Um, so here's the think about it, and then I'll, I'll move on to some observations. The think about it is this. Jesus screamed. And it was a scream. He screamed out that rivers could flow from the inner being of God's people according to the scriptures. Maybe he screamed because he had to do that to get our attention. Have you ever had to scream? You ever had to scream? I remember when Emma screamed when she broke her arm on the trampoline in the backyard. And it's not that Beth and I didn't care and we weren't there. We had actually entrusted her to Pastor Holly. Holly was over visiting. She said, I'll go out back. And all the times I did flips and bounced around with my kid, I give, I give Emma to Holly for five minutes and she breaks her arm. How many know that's the way it works? It just shows that children's pastors don't carry quite the covering that lead past. No, no, I, no, I, no. No, we won't go there, all right? But I remember the noise. I, I, I remember the attention getter, okay? All right? Maybe some of you have heard it. Maybe it wasn't a broken bow. Maybe you just called out to your children for the fifth time. In the sixth time, just a little bit of your inner man came out. You didn't mean to quite do it that loud, but it happened, and you noticed when the mirror broke that you would hit a decibel that possibly had never been hit. Is there anybody that's ever screamed here? Come, no, no. <laughs> anybody here that's ever lied? Yes, you did just a moment ago. That's right. Observations. Here they are. Number one, Jesus wants everyone to know that the Holy Spirit can live in him or her. That's why he cried out. Okay, that's pretty simple. He wants us to know that. Number two, Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will be like the power of rivers, living waters, it's plural, more than one flowing from God's children. How can we get living waters? Well, perhaps it's because I don't just need emotional help, I need spiritual help, I need physical help, I need psychological help, I need help in every way, so his spirit gives rivers to touch everything. He's a complete God, the Holy Spirit is a complete Holy Spirit, and he's not going to miss out on anything that we need. He's going to do that for us. The next one, and these last two, and this is where I'm going to kind of conclude with. A hungry heart recognizes the prophetic gift and the sign of the Messiah. Okay? Those that were prepared to receive this, no matter how crazy he might have looked when he screamed, you'll find in the next verse, and I'll share it with you, they did. They received this. They were ready to go. But then number four, a religious spirit is frustrated when God's people have revelation that God lives in them and through them. A religious spirit has a hard time with that. Now, I'm not going here to cause division, but I'm going to go into this subject to just show you that I sense the tension in this from time to time. I was invited to a pastoral prayer meeting in O'Fallon. This has been a few years ago. 
was invited into a pastoral prayer meeting. We're sitting around in a circle, and I just prayed the, the, the Lord's Prayer. I'm like, Father, I thank you that you're in heaven, and your name is holy, and you said to ask for your kingdom to come, and for your will to be done right here just like it is in heaven. And your kingdom is the authority of heaven on earth. And I am asking that we as the the leaders and we as sons and daughters and we as your people in our community will walk with your authority right here. God, use us to raise the dead. Use us to heal the sick. Use us to embolden those that are discouraged. Use us to set the captives free. God, use us to make heaven known on earth. Amen. And then it went to the next person. And the next person said, God, I thank you that we get to suffer. I thank you that we're called to suffer. I thank you that as we suffer and as we walk hand in hand with you, the character of Christ is revealed in us and others see that we can also walk in the character of Christ while suffering. I I just wanted to spit. I did. I repented. No, I didn't spit. Outwardly. He began to pray and cancel everything that I had prayed. Then it went into, that was a wonderful season of signs and miracles, and you and the disciples did those things, but now we have the word, and we just follow the word, and we don't need the signs and the miracles. Just canceled everything that I prayed. Just, went, just canceled it all. And I thought, this is the last time I'm joining this prayer group. It, it's, it, you just shake the dust from your feet, and you move on. There was no connection with this at all because it preferred religion over to what Jesus actually has for us. I don't get it all right. You don't get it all right. We're still growing. We're trying to understand this. But as my grandpa would say, dadgummit, we need to believe that the presence of God has been invested into us, not just so that we can go to church on Sunday and not just so that we can suffer and not just so that we can be miserable, but the presence of God has been invested into us so that it can be released through us to those that need him. Can I get an amen? Amen. Look in John 7, 40 to 44, just the next paragraph. You'll see that this, this problem was right. It happened immediately. It said, on hearing his words... After Jesus shouts out, living waters for everyone, it says this. Some people went, surely this man's the prophet. You see, they believed a prophet was going to lead the way before the Messiah. Who was that guy, by the way? John the Baptist. But there were those that didn't understand that, and they're like, oh, he must be the prophet. Others said, no, no, he's the Messiah. Yeshua HaMashiach, he, he's the Messiah. Still others said, but I, how can he be the Messiah? He's, he's from Galilee. Doesn't scripture say that the Messiah is going to be one of David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. It still happens. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. I'll guarantee in the middle of this crowd, Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, scribes, and teachers that all wanted him dead. Now he has shouted out this word. They want him dead more. They want to seize him, but they couldn't lay a hand on him because it wasn't his time. And Jesus walks through the crowd, but the division, the dividing line has been made. If you receive Jesus as the Messiah, rivers of living water flow from you. If you receive religion, you reject, you reject the Messiah. You reject Jesus. Here's an observation. You ready for this one? If our teaching about Jesus doesn't include what Jesus actually taught, then it's tradition or religion-driven and not spirit-driven. 
I'm just about done. It's 12.28. This time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. Just about ready. But I really try not to be tradition or religion driven. But I still struggle with it. I mean, I do. I want to love like Jesus. I want the freedom that Jesus had. I, I want to help people experience it, and I struggle with it. I, I love telling the testimony of, yeah, this you know, prostitute got saved, laid her hands on five people, and all five of them were instantly healed, but then my discipleship mind can't even process that sometimes. How I many know what I'm talking about? Aren't they supposed to be a Christian for a little longer? Aren't they supposed to clean up a little bit better? Aren't they supposed to have a better attitude before they start using? I mean, it would make sense that the living water would first of all be like a bath. That the living water is a bath or a shower for those of you that don't like to sit in your own filth in a bathtub. For those of you that enjoy soaking in your own filth, you're completely allowed to do that, and that's fine. For those of us that are clean, you understand that a shower is the best place to be. And I love both of you, you filthy animals or those of you that are clean. I love you, I, I get it. It's living water, there's motion, it's shower, it's, it's pulsating, right? It's what we're supposed to have, okay? So I, I think that when we have rivers of living water, the first should be a shower to clean off all the stuff, get rid of the attitude, break the strongholds. And I no longer have that soul tie to those 17 people I slept with before I got saved. I, that's what that, the river of living water should take care of all that stuff first. And then, and then it should disciple me so that when I walk into a room, I have the fragrance and the aroma of Jesus. And I have, I've memorized at least seven to 12 high quality scriptures. Like, you know, Titus 1, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. That I memorize some of these great scriptures that can change somebody's life, right? That's what it, and then after I'm discipled and I'm clean and I smell good, now I can start shooting a little stream of living water to those in need from time to time. Shouldn't it be that way? No. That's religion. Look in John chapter 4, last verse for today. John chapter 4. <laughs> Jesus screamed it out, living waters, on the last day of Sukkot, but here he didn't scream it out at all. He's just having a conversation with a lady that had been with five different men and was living with a guy at that time. She was a Samaritan woman. As a matter of fact, Jews didn't even talk to Samaritans. I kind of have a feeling Jesus wanted to get where he was going, so he knew that the Aseans, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers, they wouldn't follow him into Samaria, so he and his disciples went through Samaria, and they went down to get some chow, and when they went down to get some food to bring it up to him, he's sitting by Jacob's well, and this lady comes up to get some water, and Jesus asks her for a drink, and it was so alarming to her because men didn't speak to women, but Jewish men never would speak to a Samaritan woman. How dare you? right? They despise the Samaritan women. And Jesus said to her, if you knew who was talking to you about give, getting a drink, you'd actually ask him for a drink and he'd give you living water. He's like, well, what, what do you mean you give me, you don't even have anything to get water with. And Jesus took this natural moment and he turned it into a supernatural moment. And then he prophesied over her. He told her how many men she had been with, by the way, Jesus knows. But he didn't use that to condemn her. And she ran down to the city and she says, she says to everybody down there, come meet a man that told me everything that I ever did. Could he be the one? 
And then they all rushed up and they met him for themselves and they looked at the lady and they said, wow, you know, we came up because of what you told us, but we don't believe because of what you told us anymore. We believe for ourselves because we've heard him. Could he be the Messiah? And then Michael W. Smith wrote that as a song in the 80s. Remember that? Could he be the Messiah? God directed this Samaritan woman's life so Michael W. Smith could write that song and win a Golden Dove Award. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful? Isn't it amazing how God does all of that? He had all of that lined up for Michael ahead of time. Could he be the Messiah? Only guy I know to win that dove with the nasal sound that he has every time he sings. But anyway, and, and listen, if you've got a friend, they're a friend forever. They're a friend forever. If the Lord's the Lord of them. And they will not say never. Because the welcome, it's not going to end. All right. So anyway, that was just for the late service. We didn't do that for the early service. They're cranky and they were shrieking all morning like a bunch of ravens. Okay. Kristen, be thankful you were, yeah, be thankful you were here for the late service. It was a lot worse. Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I'll give him shall never thirst, but the water that I'll give him will become a well of water springing into eternal life. So you've got one time Jesus literally standing before the mass, masses, shrieking this message. But then you've got this beautiful moment where he's speaking to a lady. And he says, it'll flow from you. Living water will flow from you. Faith Chapel, think about it. Wells of living water are offered to everyone who believes, regardless of their past, their socioeconomic classification, their gender, their age, you could even say their race. The website I bought this from didn't have race on there, so I apologize for that. But you could even, that's a joke, I, it was free. But um, wells of living water are offered to Samaritan women who are shacking up with a guy. Religion doesn't do that. Relationship does. And I'll admit it, my churchiness, if you've wondered, does he have it? I do. And my churchiness struggles with this. But Jesus in me says, don't struggle with it. Reach out for more of him, less of yourself. Let's have a church where people are exploding with rivers of living water, whether they got saved five minutes ago or they've been in the kingdom for a long time. But let's definitely not be a church that wants to seize the moving of the Spirit and put it in a room that we're comfortable with and kill what God wants to do rather than letting it walk with resurrection power. Amen.